This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Mailbag Wednesday is today. Uh, Eric and I have another show for you on tap where... If you're unfamiliar with Mailbag Wednesday, it's exactly what it sounds. You guys send us questions, we answer them. That's all that we're doing on today's podcast. Uh, we're going to go into a lot of Oregon football talk, uh, Oregon against Cal, Oregon against Colorado, big picture stuff uh, on Oregon football. I think I saw uh, one basketball question, so we might dabble into to some basketball as well. We'll see. Uh, but, Eric, uh, another Wednesday Let's let's just dive right into it. You you've got the first question. Let's go. All right. First question comes from at MJ Ducks one. And this is a long term question. I like it. Do you see the Ducks defense be possibly being even better next year? One, all secondary back. Two, most of the defensive line back. Three, lots of depth. Four, addition of uh, Sewell and others. Obviously, Sewell's not committed yet, but that's a possibility. And five, the loss of any of these juniors to the NFL. I'll start by saying. Just first off, I think the loss of Troy Dye in the center of the defense is going to be very significant. Um, I know statistically he's maybe not having his best year to date. Um, he does lead the team in tackles, but that is a team leader. Um, you know, after Saturday's win over California, uh, Cristobal said he was very proud of the way Troy Dye kind of rallied up the whole team at halftime. So um, that will be a significant loss. You can't look past that loss um, in terms of just its, its overall uh, meaning, you know, he, he's a, he's a big part of this defense. He has been for four years. Um, I, I don't think that part can be overlooked. Now, the rest of the defense, I think there's some really good points there. That secondary is maybe the strength of the entire team at this point, and every single player has eligibility for next season. So, and then you throw in the recruits that they bring in at that, in the secondary as well with the, you know, I think three of the top five highest rated recruits currently in Oregon's, uh, recruiting class are defensive backs. If they're able to sign all those guys, it could be in, in, in a tremendous defensive backfield. But I think losing Troy Dye is significant, possibly losing uh, a couple of starters up front in Drayton Carver, Gus Cumberlander, um, maybe a guy like Jordan Scott. Um, there's just, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of cautious to say it's going to be better, but certainly that secondary, if everybody stays together, is going to be, gosh, a very, very special group. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, I think... You have to look at Troy Dye and the impact that he has. I know statistically his numbers are way down from, from what they were, you know, his first three seasons, but I think he's still doing a ton. He still means a ton for this Oregon defense. And so losing him is going to hurt. There's, there's no way you, you can just sugarcoat that and, and, and say that Oregon's going to just get even better without Troy Dye on the football fields. But that being said, I'm impressed with what I've seen from Samson New uh, as a backup. I'm incredibly impressed with Isaac Slade. I think right. he's he's turned himself into a guy that had some question marks going into the year to a guy that you're more than confident in manning the middle for the next two years uh, as as the starting linebacker. I mean, he's 
this season he's the one calling the plays and you know the audibles and the adjustments for for Oregon's defense on the field you know he's the quarterback of the defense if you will so you got to you got to tip your cap a little bit there um i also think there's going to be a couple decisions that need that we'll need to know about in terms of some juniors i think jordan scott's going to have a decision he's on track to graduate uh this after this spring i believe and he is very dominant at the defensive tackle nose tackle position and i'm not entirely sure coming back for his senior year is going to warrant or is is going to result in him getting you know significantly better at his at his play like he kind of is who he is at this point in terms of the NFL draft um and so I, he's going to have a tough decision does he want to come back does he want to do a little bit of grad school? Does he want to maybe, you know, fine tune a couple things and you know, maybe go out as a senior with a national championship or, or you know, Rose Bowl or, 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 you know, some kind of really extreme goal, uh, as a team or does he have some individual goals he wants to accomplish? Uh, or does he go pro? Uh, um, you know, I think that's going to be a tough decision to make. And then you've got Thomas Graham and Diamale Lenore. I think one of those guys, Maybe both will have a decision as well to make at the end of the year of do you come back to school or have you shown enough and do you get enough of a, a good enough grade to warrant going pro early as a junior? So, uh, I, I think figuring that out is going to be important. Um, Mace Funa and, and, and Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, are two freshmen, uh, along the front line that you feel very, very good, uh, long term about. Brandon Dorless and Keon, <coughs> excuse me, and Keon Ware are, are two other guys that are freshmen that are playing along the defensive line that have that have really shown out and, and played really well uh, for Oregon. Uh, Michael Wright is uh, a freshman at cornerback that's you know certainly done you know a lot of damage for Oregon. Then you have Javon Holland. You know Holland is is arguably going to be the team's best player I think next season. Uh, on the defensive side of the football, he's, I think he's a guy that if, if he could have, could go to the NFL draft after this season, I think you'd get picked. You know, it probably wouldn't be, uh, a second, third, or, or fourth rounder, but he would, he would find himself picked. I mean, he's got eight interceptions, I think, in 18 games at, at Oregon. Really, really good player in the secondary. Nick Pickett would be back as well. Brady Breeze, you know, the, the third safety that they rotate in there. Um, and, and yeah, there's a lot of defensive guys coming through the ranks that are young. Uh, I think statistically, yeah, you, you'll, you'll see the team get better because it's just another year in the system. Right. Um, but at the same time, there, there will be some issues that they'll have to overcome. You know, Troy Dye's departure, Lamar Winston's leadership and his, his production off the edge as well. Uh, Gus Cumberlander, he's out for the year now, so, you know, replacing him kind of starts now because guys are going to have to do it already. Uh, I think Drayton Kralberg is a guy that doesn't get a lot of notoriety along the defensive line and is instrumental in the team's success as well up front. So, you know, they're going to have some pieces. But, yeah, there's I think there's a possibility that it, it could be statistically better than what it is this season. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with just we, – we have to find out what's going to happen with some of these NFL decisions before we jump to anything because it's not impossible that – Oregon loses its top two corners, its nose tackle, its inside linebacker and Troy Dye, um, all to the draft, and then you're looking at a completely different 
not completely different, but you're looking at a very different group. But at the same time, I, I think a lot of what you said makes a lot of sense in terms of some of this youth, that, uh, especially like guys like Kayvon and, and Mace, who are true freshmen playing quite a bit right now. I think their strides from true freshmen to true sophomores next year could be significant. And then you could be seeing I – and mean, both these guys are producing at a high level now. I just think you could see those guys maybe even take it to another level, and I think that's another thing you have to account for. But I, I would say – on paper, if everybody comes back, absolutely this defense could do better than this next year than this year. I think the Troy Dye thing, like I started with, is sort of the place where I go, eh, maybe that's going to be a tough person to replace. But these NFL decisions are, are going to be kind of, I think, ultimately what sort of determines the ceiling for this defensive group next year. And under Andy Avalos, I, I don't think you can overlook the fact that maybe the defense just evolves and continues to get better and better the longer he's around absolutely. the program. I think that can't be overlooked either. And then, man, it's not the question, but it's not even included in the question. But my thing is, like, man, you got to find a way to keep him around as long as you possibly can. I know we said that on the podcast, but just week after week, you're reminded of how how good he is. And he's already making one, you know, half the way through his first season at Oregon, probably a pretty strong case for being one of the premier assistant coaches Oregon has had, at least since I can remember. I mean, he, you know, obviously Chip Kelly – warranted being promoted to the head coaching job as an offensive coordinator assistant. I know Nick Aliotti had some really strong years defensively. Jim Levitt had some very strong years not too long ago, but and then and there are other other guys, obviously. But uh, Andy Avalos has been tremendous, you know, five games into his time in Oregon. And the uh, trajectory this defense is going is in part due to the talent that they've recruited, but I think also in part to, man, they have a really, really special young defensive coordinator, and you have to find a way to keep this guy around as long as you possibly can because it's, it's going to be it's going to be difficult at some point <laughs> let me jump in there real quick i i do yeah. think and i've you know i echo the same comments that you've said about avalos and this defense um but just to play devil's advocate here yeah i i think you do need to hold a little bit of judgment until this next month or so of games because these are the play. These are the teams that 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 Oregon has played against uh, so far this season, and kind of just some retrospect of of who Oregon has faced. Okay, so week one they played Bo Nix, who was a true freshman making his first start ever, playing in his first game ever, uh, and they lost that game. Uh, they played a freshman quarterback in the Nevada team that just this past weekend lost fifty four to three to Hawaii. Okay. Uh, they've played Montana, who's from the Big Sky. Um, they this past weekend they played Cal, who was without their starting quarterback. Uh, and then they've also played Stanford, who KJ Castell played in that game, but he had an injured throwing hand. And I think the week before that, or two weeks before that, he had a concussion. So they've played really, really well. But at the same time, you look at the teams that they've played and the offenses that they've faced, they haven't faced the top 50 offense yet in the country in terms of just right. yards, you know, offensive yards. And Colorado is going to be their toughest test this week, and they're in the 40s, and they may not even have their full strength on offense. Now, that being said, great defenses, elite defenses, they do what Oregon's done right now. Like, they don't allow teams to to have big games, and that's what Oregon's defense has done against inferior opponents. 
Yeah, it, it is an inferior opponent. So that was the point I think we we both made earlier in the week on the podcast. Just of we're going to learn a lot more about this Oregon defense over the next couple of weeks. But I think the point remains, like we both have said, that regardless of opponent so far, you have to be very very encouraged about the direction of this group. They're tremendous against the pass. They get a ton of pressure up front. They've been almost as good against the run as they've been against the pass. So it's a very very talented group. Um, and, and kind of like the original question stated, a lot of room for optimism and uh, expectations for next season as well, just because this is not a team that's going to lose five or six or seven seniors to the, you know, or, or a bunch of guys uh, on the defensive side of the football. There's not a lot of seniors that are starting right now. Uh, it's a it's a junior, sophomore yep. heavy group, and that's a big positive thing going forward for this group. All right, second question from at Megavault Games. Do you make Travis Dye wear gloves if he gets to start <laughs> on Friday? Um, not at all surprised we got a question about that. Um, um no. Because you <laughs> yeah. want your players playing in a sense that they're, that they're comfortable in. Because look, if Travis Dye is, is not gonna wear gloves and that's what makes him comfortable, that's fine. But if Travis Dye also has the signs of, of fumbling and he doesn't play. You know, it, it, it's, it's that nature. Now, if he chooses to wear gloves, then yeah, sure. But if I'm the coaching staff, I don't force him, uh, to wear gloves. It's, it's one or the other. Like, look, Travis, like, if, if, if you're going to fumble, we can't play you. It, it, it's up to you to figure this out, whether that's either you figure out how to hold the football with or without gloves, or we don't play you. And, you know, I don't think the gloves is the issue here. It's, you know, it, it, that that's just I don't know. I, I if I'm the staff, I don't I don't force him to make them, but you don't play him if he continues to fumble. Yeah, you, you can't have a running back who's, who fumbles the ball twice a game um, and continue to feed him the rock. I, again, I was impressed that they went back to die as much as they did in that game. Um, it paid off. I thought he ran somewhat effectively at times in the second half, but um, yeah, I agree. And I think one thing as well, just in terms of making a player wear gloves or not wear gloves or whatever it is. It, you have a short week this week. I don't know if you want to like completely change things up with him when he has like three or four days of practice. I think this is something that you would make maybe if you had a bye week or maybe just in the off season if this is a change that you are either going to suggest or enforce upon him. Um, right. I just think it's it's kind of a lot to ask to go. Hey, you've been doing you've been playing the position a certain way with certain you know equipment for the last probably his entire career. We we need you to change it in the next five days because. Maybe that adds to the problem. Maybe he struggles with gloves, you know, in terms of handling the football, and, and suddenly he, you know, he puts the ball on the turf again against Colorado, even wearing gloves. So um, it's certainly an interesting point. I think it's worth bringing up. I, I, I like the question just in terms of you had a running back who fumbled the ball twice, and he happens to be one of the very, very, you know, one of the definitely in the minority of running backs who's not wearing gloves when he carries the football. So a good question. I think not, not something I necessarily expect to be changed this week. Or maybe at all. It might, it might be something where, you know, throughout his career, he continues to play uh, without clubs. All right. Third question from right away now. What's up with the running back situation? Something doesn't seem right. Just three guys in the rotation, and one of those is a short yardage type guy. Question one, are we going to be okay for the long season? Question two, what's in the pipeline? And question three, do you see this as a problem short or long term? Um, I'll let you take that one to start, Matt. Well, I, I think... The idea that Oregon's going to use, you know, four or five running backs in a football game is, is, is 
not warranted. Like that, that's just not going to happen. Um, now you can certainly ask why is it a specific three running backs in terms of Verdell, Die, and Cyrus Sevilla Keo? You know, why did we not see Darian Felix? Why did we not see, uh, maybe a Sean Dollars? Is he, is he in the mix at all? We don't know. Um, Crystal Ball said this week about Felix that he didn't play this past week because he's a little dinged up, but you'd expect to see him moving forward. Now, Crystal Ball also said that after the Montana game, um, in which he was asked, you know, <coughs> I asked him, you know, what, what's, what's Felix doing that preventing him from getting the snaps? And he said, moving forward, you'll see more of Darian Felix. We haven't seen Darian Felix. So, you know, I, I think you can take that with a little bit of grain of salt um, from from Crystal Ball this week about seeing more Felix until it's kind of one of those until we actually see it. I'm not really going to believe it. Um, I think Verdell before he got hurt, things were fine. Like the offense was ripping off yards. Die was being was being used in the perfect format for Die as kind of like a change of pace running back. You know, he was spurting in with with big chunk plays on the ground, you know, 10, 15 yard runs. Um, and then die, you know, and then Verdell was, was doing the hard down, downfield running and was actually, you know, breaking tackles and consistently making, you know, four, five, six yard gains. Uh, and then just unfortunate that I got hurt. I think Cyrus, uh, he is probably the second best pass protector at the running back position. Um, but he is a straight line guy. He's not going to be someone that's going to show a ton of wiggle and, you know, blow by you and, you know, out juke you like a, like a Diewood or a Felix or, or even a Verdell. So I think, I think you're kind of limited with what you can do with, with, with Cyrus. Um, long term wise, like if, if Verdell's healthy and Crystal Ball said this week that he practiced, on Monday and, uh, we're expecting that he practiced on Tuesday and now today on Wednesday. Um, if he's healthy, like, I, I feel pretty good about what we saw against California because that's a really good defense and Oregon was able to, you know, downfield block and get some running lanes set up and Verdell was hitting the holes hard. It's the, the issue is, is if he's not healthy, that's, <coughs> excuse me. That's where I see we might get more Felix because if Verdell can't go, I don't, I haven't seen enough of it yet from, from Die that he can be the every down back and take 25 carries and hold on to the ball and not get hurt. So, you know, I, I, we might see a little bit more Felix if, if Verdell can't go, but if Verdell can, I feel pretty confident that the run game will get itself figured out. I think the the question about what's in the pipeline, I, I think that's referring to recruiting. Troy Benson committed in this class, a little bit bigger running back out of Mississippi. Um, he's somebody, obviously, to know going forward. I, it's hard to say exactly what his impact would be next year. Uh, Javon Wilson is a true freshman on this roster right now. He's clearly redshirted, and we haven't seen him all season. I think if you ask this question, you follow this, you probably know who Sean Dollars are. Those are the guys to kind of keep an eye on, I think. Um, Seth McGee is a 2021 running back commitment. He's a top 60 recruit, I think. Uh, he's, he's certainly notable. Jaden Ott is a 2022. I think he's a five star. That's just way down the line. So if you're asking about the pipeline, that's kind of the guys that are currently committed. There's some talent certainly there. I, I think 
Um, you know, the, the question about long-term concerns, if you're looking years down the line, it looks like they're recruiting at a high level in terms of the guys they're bringing in. Um, again, I think the size of those guys, Trey Benson being kind of the only exception because he is a little larger, but maybe and odd, at least at this point, they're younger, maybe they'll grow. Not huge bodies, so, uh, you know, you're not maybe getting, you know, the Jonathan Stewart's and Royce Freeman's that Oregon has had at times, but or probably Oregon's best seasons running the football were with Michael James being the main running back. So I, I, I don't think the running back uh, talent right now is necessarily as good as it's been, you know, at the height of the program, but I don't think it's necessarily as bad either. Um, you know, and for my money, I'd like to see a little bit more of Darian Felix. You know, he was running the ball pretty effectively at times before he, before we got into conference play, but we haven't seen him. So um, I think just kind of, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. Just, what, is he somebody they actually utilize, even with Verdell out possibly this week, or is he not? I think I think it's going to say a lot if he is physically available for this game and Verdell is not, and they don't play Felix and they only play uh, Travis Dye and Cyrus Bibiliquio. I think that would say quite a bit about the standing of kind of Darian Felix, despite what we've seen on the field, which has been some pretty good running. All right, fourth question comes from at Callum FP. At this stage of the season, which game do you think could be an unexpected slip-up game? Washington and USC don't count. Um, I'll start with this one. I think that Arizona game is suddenly looking pretty interesting, right? Yeah. Um, that was when we had totally crossed off, and it's kind of been like we kind of lumped it in with the Oregon State game, home game at the end of the season after Oregon had theoretically played. Uh, the heart of its schedule, the hardest games. I think this upcoming stretch we'd all, we'd said for a while looked like the most challenging with the Colorado, Washington, Washington State, USC. Um, and then it kind of got a little easier, even though Arizona State's in there as well. But this Arizona team is is looking pretty competitive. And Khalil Tate is back to being maybe not running the football quite like he did um, a couple years ago when he was running for like 150 yards a game. But he's starting to be a very productive player. Um, they're 2-0 and in the South. I know they haven't beaten the premier teams yet, and they haven't really played those teams yet, but uh, credit to credit, you know, where credit's due. Uh, I think a lot of us have kind of slept on Arizona and the Wildcats in terms of this game not meaning much, and we should note that last year it was Arizona who gave Oregon its worst defeat in Pac-12 play, you know, and, and on the season as a whole. Uh, you know, they, that was an ugly, ugly game down there. I'm sure Oregon remembers that, and we'll have that in mind when the Wildcats return, but there's something about that matchup, it seems like. And even historically, going back to, like, the beginning of the decade, um, Oregon's had a hard time playing Arizona for whatever reason. Uh, they've had talented teams. Maybe it's stylistic. But um, I think that's a game that I, I think yeah, we weren't really looking at it as, as one that really had much of a possibility. It was kind of an afterthought game. But a couple weeks in the conference play, Wildcats look pretty good. Yeah, I'm with you. that they, they look a lot better than anticipated um, Khalil, uh, Tate is almost like Khalil Mack. Khalil Tate is a really, really good quarterback when healthy and when used in a proper way. And it seems like, you know, the, the Wildcats and Kevin Sumlin, the head coach are, are figuring out what works best and what doesn't, uh, with him. I still go with Arizona State though. You know, they're, they are trending for the Pac-12 South championship. Uh, both those teams are really, um, ASU's ranked. Uh, they've got a huge game this weekend against Utah, or next week against Utah. Um, but I think ASU was a team last season, and again this year to an extent. I mean, I was a little high on them 
outside of the norm. But for the, you know, most media members were, were not very high on either of those two schools. And so you pick Arizona. I'm sticking with my pick of Arizona State being that it's on the road. I, I said that's where, uh, Oregon would, would lose their one game this, this season. Yeah, you know, I, I I saw Oregon going eleven and one, and I I thought the one game that they would lose was Arizona State, and so I'm I, I'm sticking with with that as as we uh, go through the list of schools. So all right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Ots and Audibles Mailbag Edition with myself, Matt Bream, and Eric Scopel. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me. Uh, we're answering your questions, the best duck questions that we've received throughout the week. Uh, going into number five, Eric, take it away. All right, number five from at PRDolphin underscore PR. Any red shirts potentially blown that surprised you? Um, we're now at the point of the season where players have the possibility of playing five games. Obviously, if you play more than five games, you cannot redshirt uh, based upon the new redshirt rule. Let me run down the list. There are eight true freshmen that have already played five games. Josh Delgado, Mace Funa, Kayvon Thibodeau, Michael Wright, DJ James, Jamal Hill, Jimon Eifert, and Camden Lewis are the eight players I would say the biggest surprise for me is that there's only been one offensive player on that list who's reached that number. We know Micah Pittman's going to get there this season. Um, injuries are the reason he's not there already. But I think the fact that it's just been one offensive player, and, and, and maybe that speaks to the depth and talent Morgan has on offense to begin with. But sure, it, a little little unique that we only have one offensive player and then six defensive players who have read, who have uh, I guess surpassed the redshirt threshold. And then obviously Camden Lewis, the place kicker. So that's my big surprise. I think looking through the individuals that are on here, I think we all thought Funa and Thibodeau and Wright were definitely going to play. I think we obviously knew Lewis was going to play. Uh, DJ James and Jamal Hill and Jimon Eford are probably the three defensively, at least, that are like the most surprising. But I don't think it's shocking. And those guys aren't really playing that much on actual defense for the most part. Those are special teams players. Um, so th- those three are probably the three that I would say are, quote-unquote, the biggest surprises. Of those three, maybe Jamal Hill and DJ James, just because 
we all thought coming into the season that the secondary depth was was pretty good and, and that those guys might not play very much. What about you, Matt? Um, I mean, going through the list of guys that have red shirts that have that have not played four games yet or five, um, I don't know if there's anyone out there besides Pittman that I'm like, yeah, like that makes total sense. Like he he should you know he should be playing you know more. Like I, I'm looking at this group of you know Michael Rice played in five. He's gonna play. I mean, he might be a starter next season. You've got to get, get him ready. Um, go through the list. Kayvon Thibodeau, same thing. You know, Jonah Tuanu has only played in one game. I think it's pretty evident that they are preparing him to redshirt. And that's, I think that speaks more of just the depth that Oregon has along the offensive line than the talent of, of Jonah because he was a highly regarded prospect. You know, I, I think he was maybe one of the guys that you were like, he might play in more than, than five games this season, but I don't know if he was a lock, and it certainly looks like he's going to redshirt this season now. Um, you go through the list here of other guys that, that haven't haven't played that are true freshmen. Suave Poti, he's played in one game. He's going to redshirt because of the depth. Um, let's see. I'm going through the list of guys. Uh, Camden Lewis, he's going to, you know, when when he won the job, that that became obvious. Uh I'm just looking through the list here as I see guys, you know, DJ James, you know, that was evident he was going to play during fall camp. It was clear of his importance. Same with Jamal Hill. Patrick Herbert's played in just one game. He's, you know, I think that was expected for him to, to redshirt coming in. We kind of already knew that. Mace Funa started the game, played in five. You know, that's not really a surprise for Oregon. Um, Austin, Austin Falio, he's a, he's a junior, so he doesn't count. Uh, Jimon Eford, he's played in five games. I mean, maybe that one surprises me a little bit, but look, someone's always going to show up and, and, you know, be, be a little bit better than expected. You know, that, that always just happens. Brandon Dorless, you know, he's a guy that, that's looked like he didn't play against Auburn, but then he's played in the last four. And I think he's, he's one of those other guys that you, you were like, we don't know what, what to expect out of him. Right. And yeah. now all of a sudden he's, you know, he's probably going to play the rest of the year as a true freshman. Josh Delgado, I think you could make a, a case for redshirting him at the beginning of the year if all the injuries hadn't happened. But once guys started getting hurt, it was it became clearly evident he was going to have to play, whether he was ready or not. And I still think even if those injuries didn't happen, he was going to play uh, for Oregon this season. Um, you go look at Canware Hudson. He's played in a, a little bit, but I think he's – Probably in line to, to redshirt as well. So, uh, he's played in three games. He didn't play against Cal. He didn't play against Auburn. Um, he's probably the one that's kind of like on the fringe. You know, Vegas could maybe dictate a little bit, or not Vegas, but, uh, um, what am I saying? Injuries could right. dictate, uh, where that, where that goes for him. Yeah, I, I think overall, this is a, obviously a tremendous recruiting class. Oregon's played a lot of guys. I don't think any of it's super shocking. I, I agree. I think Eford and Hill and GJ James are the guys who've already gotten to five games, probably the most surprising. I think Jonah, probably just based upon recruiting ranking, the most surprising that hasn't got there, but also, like we've said a couple times on the podcast, kind of makes sense that they're sort of using a year to kind of get him ready for next season where there's going to be a ton of opportunity for him to play. All right, sixth question from at Clear Duck. 
What's Oregon's coaching staff's confidence with kicking field goals? Camden Lewis' career long is 28 yards, which is about the 18, or sorry, which is about the 11 yard line. If I'm within the opponent's 40 yard line, I'm thinking it's a four down situation. The defense is so good, it wouldn't be much of a risk. Um, well, we should start by saying at least he's made a field goal now. Uh, <laughs> my bold prediction came true. He, Camden Lewis made a field goal. Um, you know, it came after he missed his third to start the season. I think the confidence level can't be super high, just in the fact that he's one for four and only one of those kicks was longer than I think 30 yards. Um, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a tough start, right? I mean, there's no way to get around it. You know, he's missed some very short field goals. It was good to see him finally split the uprights, but yeah, I, I, I think you get to a certain part of the field and it does become four down territory where for other teams that have a little more comfort, you know, confidence or comfort level with their kicker, it might not be. Um, I don't think you, I mean, you saw him try a field goal that was, I think, 45 yards and it wasn't even close. So, uh, I don't think you necessarily have a ton of confidence. And I think, yeah, I think once you get into the red zone, you maybe start thinking that's kind of field goal range for him. Once you, you know, maybe, maybe the 20, that's a 37 or 38 yard field goal. Maybe that's a spot where you start kind of going, okay, now you can feel comfortable giving it a shot. But I think any place outside of that is going to be, yeah, it's four down territory. And the way Mario Cristobal's approached it, you get to about the 40 yard line. And it's fourth and five. They're punting from there. Yes, so. they're going to take a. They'll take. A, I was just going to say, they will take a delay of game and push them back five more yards and then take a punt. Like, yeah, they, they, they play field position football. Right. That's if it was doing. if it was fourth and one from the forty, I could see them going for it. Fourth and two, fourth and three. But anything outside of that, if they're if they're near the forty yard line, they're going to punt. They're not. They're not going to kick a field goal and they're not going to go for it just because it's. It's fourth and five from the opponent forty. Like for the most part, knowing crystal ball, they they play field position, and you may not like that decision, but that's what that's what they've done. And for the most part, it's it's worked out. I think I would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive and throw the football on fourth down in those situations because you're only going to get you know maybe fifteen twenty yards if if you touch if you hit a touchback. Uh, but to Blake Maymon's credit, you know he's done a really good job. You know, pinning the ball deep uh, so far through through five games. And, and I, we should say, I, I think you go back and look at some of the touchdowns Oregon has had these last two weeks when touchdowns have been a rarity, and a couple of them have come in part because the opponent has been punting basically from their own end zone, and Oregon has got field position that starts exactly at, at or past midfield, and that has allowed those short fields have allowed Oregon to score some points. Obviously, we saw. Um, this, I think Javon Holland set them up at the 30 yard line and they went down and scored. So, uh, in the previous week there was a similar scenario. I think they started like either at midfield or maybe the 45 and that was a quick short field. So that's the way they want to play. Um, and it's become pretty clear. So I think answering the question, you get to the red zone, they're probably looking to kick field goals. Anything before that, it's going to be either punting or going forward on fourth and manageable. And I think fourth and manageable is the key there because I even think if it was fourth and 14 or something like that, and they really got backed up, and they're at the 35-yard line. I think, like Matt said, yeah, they're probably taking a delay game penalty or something and moving the ball back to give some more space to punt it and, and pin the opponent deep, which is maybe goes against what we've seen from Oregon previously, but it's clearly kind of the uh, the, the strategy that, that this staff has kind of undertaken. Seventh question from Anon Trump Haver 1. What are the top four defensive teams in the conference and with defenses getting so much better, what strange timeline has the Pac-12 entered? Um, Pac-12 has been 
probably a little better defensively. I think um, I'm looking at it right now. There are five teams in the Pac-12 who are holding opponents to less than 20 points per game. That's pretty significant, right? Yeah. Um, Oregon is the only team in the conference whose opponents are averaging less than 10 points. They lead the conference at 9.8. Arizona State and Utah both average 14.4. And Cal and Washington both average 18.3. So those five schools are, I think, the premier defensive teams. I don't think any of that really shocks you. I think coming into the season, it was kind of the expectation that especially Utah, Cal, and Washington were kind of known to be the top defenses, Oregon and Arizona State, that kind of maybe, I don't want to say taking teams by surprise, but the expectation was that, that those teams were going to be good defensively, but maybe not this good. Oregon is leading the conference in defensive yards per game. Uh, Utah is second in that category, followed by Washington, or sorry, followed by Arizona State, Washington, and Cal. So a little reshuffling there, but those five schools are, are pretty clearly, you know, you talk about the top defenses in the conference. I think you have to lump five in there because they're all pretty close together. And those are defenses that are going to be tough, you know, week in and week out. Um, you look at Oregon's schedule so far, they've only played one of those top defenses, you know. Uh, they haven't played Arizona State. They don't play Utah. They play Washington in a couple weeks. It's going to be some tough defenses up on the schedule here. But I think it's interesting is there's such a steep drop-off from these top five to the rest because then you go to USC, Stanford, Arizona, and then you go to this group of Oregon State, Washington State, Colorado, and UCLA who are all, each allowing opponents to score more than 30 points a game, which is a really pretty significant number. Um, UCLA is averaging 37.7 points scored against and 503 yards uh, gained against. Those are really big numbers. So while there are some teams that are playing very, very well defensively, there's also this other portion of the conference that are playing not very well, and it is even this portion at the bottom, Oregon State, Washington State, Colorado, and UCLA, which have some really dreadful numbers. So um, a little bit of a mix, a little bit of a match, but um, I think, yeah, I think some of the defenses are performing better, and then there's some that are really bad this year. I think you look at the makeups of these teams, right, and you figure things out. Typically offensive line coaches that become head coaches, like they lean on – having really, really good defenses. Like, it's they're an offensive coach, but they've come up with, hey, like, let's ball control, play elite defense, let's win the football game. You know, that's kind of what Mario Cristobal's offense is at Oregon. So it doesn't surprise me there. Herm Edwards, you, know, you look at total defense yards allowed per play. Oregon is one. Arizona State is two. Herm is a defensive-minded coach as a head coach. So that doesn't surprise me that ASU is a very good defense. The same is said for... California and Justin Wilcox, you know, Wilcox, we, we know what he has done, um, you know, as a, as an assistant coach and, and now as a head coach and Kyle Willingham, Utah has always been known to be a good defense and he's a defensive minded coach. He, that's what he came up through the ranks coaching defense. Chris Peterson is, is really the, out of the top five, Oregon has an offensive minded head coach. From in terms of where, where they were and going through the ranks, uh, Washington Peterson is, is the second one in the top five. Uh, but UW under you know Peterson has always had a really good defense, so that's not a surprise there. Um, USC, I, I think they're a mess, but you know they've always you know typically you know on, when they've been really really good, Pete Carroll years. And before, they've had defensive-minded coaches. Oregon State, Jonathan Smith, they have an offensive-minded coach. Arizona, Kevin Sumlin's an offensive-minded coach. Leach is clearly an offensive-minded coach. Um, Stanford is 10th in the league 
And David Shaw is a defensive-minded coach. But that being said, historically, they're a top five team, you know, defense in the conference. And then you've got Colorado, who's 11th, uh, you know, but Mel Tucker was a, you know, a former defensive coordinator, uh, in the SEC. And this is his first year and he's trying to turn that program around through defense. And then obviously Chip Kelly at UCLA. So I think there's just a, a more of, of a defensive focus in the conference than there has been at the top of, you know, the food chain for each school as on the coaching staffs. You know, a lot of, a lot of these coaches ha- embrace and, and are, or were, were brought up through the coaching ranks of, of being a defensive guy. And so naturally that's creating teams in the conference that are going to be really good at, at the defensive side of the football. Part of it's also schedule. You yes. go and look through some of these teams that are, uh, that post really good defensive numbers. Some of them haven't played very good offenses. Um, Obviously, Oregon and Arizona State rank at the top, and those teams have both played California so far, and California is not a very good offense. So it'll probably all even itself out to a certain degree. I do think that core five that we talked about at the beginning as being kind of the top group will probably stay in some order near the top or probably at the top together. But um, interesting year. It's, 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 I think it, to me, as someone who loves watching good defenses, it's been really fun watching Oregon's defenses play at such a high level and, and see a defense uh, hold teams out of the end zone or, or limit the opponent opponent's scoring so well. I think that's a fun way to watch football, and, and it's been kind of it's been cool seeing the Ducks sort of transition a little bit from scoring 50 a game, but maybe allowing 24 points to you know scoring not very much, but holding the other team to not very many points. Now that's not a real popular take, but something I've kind of enjoyed. Last question from at Robbie Parness. This might be hard for you guys to answer, but with the foreseeable depth at wide receiver next year, do you see a possibility of Johnny Wilson with his size sliding to tight end? I know there is Patrick Herbert, Spencer Webb, and Cam McCormick back, but it could be a way to get Wilson on the field early. I'll let you take that one, Matt. Uh, I don't see it. I mean, I, I think Oregon's – I think there's probably a better chance that Wilson maybe moves to the defensive side of the football – and plays linebacker safety because that's kind of what he did in high school. He played running back and then on the defensive side at linebacker. So I think there's probably a better chance that that happens um, than him moving to tight end. And and if they and even if they wanted to breach that idea, I, I don't know why they would because you've you have granted Cam McCormick needs to get healthy, but. You have Cam McCormick on, on the on the roster next season. Uh, you've also got Hunter Campmoyer on on the roster next season. You have Patrick we- uh, Patrick um, Herbert on the roster next season. You have Spencer Webb on the roster next season, and then you've got um, Seth Figgins coming in, and they're and they're recruiting another t- tight end to DJ Rogers too. So you know it's not going to be, I think, at the position where. Oregon has all of a sudden this huge need because lack of depth. It, it would simply be because you don't think any of those guys are going to be able to, you know, play a bigger role. I think Spencer Webb will, you know, will fit in nicely there. I, I think Camp Moyer will kind of assume the Ryan Bay role. Uh, and then Patrick Herbert is going to be the guy that that's kind of, I think, the wild card. Like, it, it, does he step up and, and, and be the guy? Uh, Earlier than expected, can he contribute earlier? And then there's Cam McCormick too. I mean, he might be another wild card. Like if he's yeah. healthy, he's he's the best tight end on this year's team. 
you know, so, but for him, it's just, he's had the battle injuries for so long. I don't think you can, you can considerably say he's going to be healthy next year. Yeah. I think one thing, when you have a recruit who's a top 100 guy like Johnny Wilson is, who's considered one of the best receivers in this class, I don't, I don't see why you move him to another spot. And of course, Oregon has a ton of wide receivers coming in, but I, or that are going to be on this roster next year. A lot of guys returning. You add Devin Williams to the mix. Chris Hudson also in this recruiting class. Um, you, you're not really losing much besides Brennan Schooler and, and Juwan Johnson from this year's team. So, um, I understand the inclination to think, Hey, like, let's, let's find a way to get everybody involved. But I also think with Wilson's clear talent and skill set, like, don't sleep on him being able to beat out some of these players either, right? I mean, we saw Micah Pittman arrive on campus this spring, and even though there was a lot of guys returning and some, and some talented guys that are entering the program, he was arguably the most impressive wide receiver in spring and arguably the most impressive receiver in fall. And, you know, even though he's missed some games, his debut on Saturday against California, I think it's pretty clear he's going to be one of the team's best receivers this season. So, and that's as a true freshman. So I don't think you can sleep on Johnny Wilson and say, gosh, you know, he's 6'6", 225, let's put him at tight end because he's got the size. Um, you have to realize the tight end position also requires somebody who's got the right mental makeup to want to be physical and block and do things with the line of scrimmage. If this, if that's not something he's necessarily comfortable doing, I don't think you want to put a, you know, a, a, try to fit a square peg in a wrong, you know, the, the wrong hole or whatever, because I think that's just dangerous. So, um, I, I think I agree with you in terms of he's a guy who could come in and push for a starting job. So you let him do that. And I, I guess if it gets to worst case scenario and, He's clearly not going to see the field, then maybe you do that. But I think you don't start out by moving him to tight end. I, I don't like yeah, that. I misinterpreted the question. I thought you were talking about Javon Wilson on oh, no, on the no. roster already at running back. Um, but Jay, uh, Johnny Johnny Wilson, the, the recruit, no, there's no chance. I mean, right. he might start at receiver. So, like, we've, we've gone a length of this question, but that's I'm, glad, I'm just going to clarify there. Yeah, okay. I, I was kind of wondering when you were saying he might play safety or or linebacker. I was like, I think yeah. defensive. I thought you said Javon Wilson, but I, yeah. I now understood that it's it's Johnny Wilson. Either way, we have a lot I of Wilsons on the team. Too, too many Wilsons, and either way, I think both guys just just keep at the position, see if it works out. And again, I think you you try not to move guys to other positions unless it's like completely clear the guy is just never going to contribute. And I think especially with the guy who's recruit, you know, recruited as highly regarded as Johnny Wilson, I think it's really premature to say he's a tight end and not a receiver. Is that it? That's the eight we got, Matt. That's the eight we got. All right, well, hopefully you guys enjoyed Mailbag Wednesday. Um, we'll have another one coming up this week of another podcast. We're going to go in-depth with uh, our sister site on 24-7 Sports. Um, we're going to have a Colorado writer. Colorado writer. That can really run. Uh, Colorado writer will be on. Uh, Adam from Buff Stampede, he's going to come on and talk with us about the Buffs, get you ready for Friday night's game. Remember, Friday night, not Saturday night. Uh, 7 p.m. kick on Fox. Uh, same TV crew that called last weekend's game will be calling Friday night's game as well. So uh, lots to get to on the show later this week uh, and also on Friday We'll have a game day edition of a podcast as well. So uh, thanks for listening to the Mailbag Wednesday. Uh, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Brain, we'll talk to you later. Adios, amigos. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. <laughs> 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 